from India's largest newsroom. I'm Arun George, and this is the Times of India podcast. In the end, it was an uneventful handover of power in the Pakistan Army on Tuesday, the 29th of November. General Asim Munir took over as the Chief of Army Staff of the Pakistan Army from General Kamar Javed Bajwa in a ceremony at the Army's General Headquarters. The appointment of the new Army Chief and his views have been the subject of intense debate and speculation for days in India as well. Is it because we are obsessed with everything to do with Pakistan or is it because of the power the Army Chief wields? Both. We have a singular obsession with Pakistan because of our history with Pakistan. It is a legacy of partition that continues to haunt us even today. And the post-colonial construction, we have fought three or four wars with them. We have had a relationship of enmity with them. Uh, both are nuclear powers. We feel threatened. Pakistan feels threatened by us. We feel, in some sense, you know, irritated, if not threatened by Pakistan anymore. And so it remains constantly in our mind space. And that's why we are obsessed with Pakistan. But it is equally true that the army chief in Pakistan or the institution of army more than the army chief per se, uh, has a very important role, outsized role to play in Pakistan compared to, let's say, India or the United States or the United Kingdom. The only parallels I can think of when it comes to Pakistan uh, in terms of the civil-military relationship would be Myanmar, would be Egypt, would be Turkey. But, you know, more those countries where military has developed into a very powerful institution which starts influencing politics, which is, starts influencing economy, society, foreign policy in all aspects. That's Sushant Singh author and senior fellow at Delhi-based think tank, Centre for Policy Research. In today's episode, Sushant is in conversation with my colleague Jairaj Singh and me about Pakistan's new army chief and the implications of the new appointment. We discuss the controversies surrounding the outgoing army chief, what we know about the new army chief and what his biggest priorities are expected to be. We also discussed how the new army chief is expected to handle the biggest challenge the Pakistan army has faced in a while a former Prime Minister named Imran Khan. Just to briefly dwell on General Bajwa's tenure, which is now ending, uh, he's leaving under a bit of a cloud over his wealth and the politics that has been there during his tenure. Could you explain the significance of his tenure? So General Bajwa, like a couple of previous chiefs, had a very long tenure of six years, got one extension. Uh, but he's leaving under, as you as you rightly pointed out, under a under cloud of suspicion over the over his wealth. And a lot of Pakistani army chiefs and senior army officials have allega- have had allegations about the the vast increase in wealth that they have had, including General Kayani, one of the more respected uh, Pakistan army chiefs. But I think the bigger concern when it comes to Bajwa is that he has left army weakened in a society where the army was a very highly respected institution. So in this fight with Imran that we have seen over the last few months, and Imran was somebody they promoted, they brought to power. The Pakistan army has come second best. 
the urban elite of Pakistan, the middle class of Pakistan, Imran Khan's vocal supporters on social media, and to an extent, even the judiciary has taken side of Imran Khan rather than the army. And army seems to have lost that respect, that sheen, that aura that it had that it had in the Pakistani society. And I think that is the most damaging legacy of General Bajwa as he leaves. It is also true that General Bajwa recognizes that there is a problem with his legacy. And that's why over the last few weeks, all his statements have been that, oh, Pakistan army will not any longer interfere in Pakistani politics, will stay out of it. We have earned this bad reputation because we have uh, we have in- interfered in politics and we will no longer do that. But the fact of the matter is that, at least in my living memory of last 40, 50 years, he perhaps has had the worst reputation at the time of leaving the army in some sense, even much worse than Musharraf. And that says a lot. Sushant, uh, 2022 has been a particularly hard year for Pakistan. Apart from political instability, there is also a lot of economic strike. What impact has that had on the Pakistani army? Pakistan uh, is caught in a very bad space right now. They seem to be getting the the worst of all worlds. You know, you're suffering from climate change. Your economy is already on doldrums. You are barely surviving. You are seeing so much of political instability in that country where Imran is being relieved. Papan government in Pakistani Punjab province is being changed at the same time. And socially, there is so much of turmoil. Terrorism is again on the rise. It, the, uh, the foreign policy with Afghanistan, with India is going nowhere. China has really not come out and supported in the manner they wanted it to support. So 2022 for Pakistan has been a very, very tough year where their self-image, their whole idea that they could be the center of geoeconomics in the region has really suffered. They really seem to have gotten the worst of all worlds. And in this, uh, a lot of blame for whatever has happened does go to the Pakistan army and to General Bajwa. The way they have played this game, the way have they have created political instability. First, they backed Imran, then they removed their hands off Imran. And all the other uh, uh, tricks that have been played, all the other games that have been played, uh, they've really put uh, Pakistan in an unenviable position. What... Uh, would you say is like the present state of the Pakistan army? The Pakistan army remains a very strong military institution. It's a professional military. It's a well-equipped military. It's a good army. It's a it's a professional army. You don't treat it as a as a ragtag army. It's a good army. It's well-led. Its officers are professionally trained. It is well-equipped. It has enough resources. And in case of any major issue, you know, if let's say it really some of those red lines are crossed, the nuclear weapons are also with Pakistan. And in case of Pakistan, is the only nuclear weapon state where the nuclear weapons are controlled by the army and not by the political leadership. So as many of your listeners may be aware that that nuclear weapons are not seen as weapons of war fighting, but are seen as weapons of political activity taken by top political leaders. Pakistan is the only country where nuclear weapons are actually controlled by the army and not by the political leadership. That gives the Pakistan army an additional layer of safety, an additional way of acting against against an adversary if things were to somehow, uh, somehow go out of hand. That having said, the modernization of Pakistan army has also suffered in the recent years because they have not gotten the kind of support they expected to get from the Western countries, uh, which had initially provided them the equipment and the techniques to modernize themselves. The Chinese replacements 
although adequate in number, have not been that good. And also the fact that Pakistan has not been doing well economically, has not allowed it to buy more modern equipment from Western countries. There was a brief moment of speculation where the change in command even possibly may not happen. Um, what's the sort of list of criteria that someone like a General Munir needs to meet to become an army chief in Pakistan? So uh, earlier on, what would happen is six or seven eligible names would be given to the defense ministry, which would then take it to the prime minister. And based on those eligible names, whatever the political leadership, essentially the prime minister thought uh, would choose that person as the Pakistan army chief. But now this time, as we have very clearly seen, Shahbaz Sharif has gone and chosen the senior most guy. And Asim Munir happens to be the senior most person by a quirk of fate that he was an officer, which was taken from a uh, from a short-term course, uh, from not from the Pakistan Military Academy's regular course. And because of that, he happened to be a few few days senior to all, all the others, and therefore was the senior most person and was therefore picked picked uh, to become the chief. Uh, as for the military requirements to become a chief, you should have commanded a corps, uh, which is uh, the highest military war fighting formation in, in Pakistan. And you should have also served for four years in the rank of Lieutenant General. Both those criteria were met by Asim Munir on, I think, 26th of, of November. He barely made it into the four-year cut. And he was he had commanded the Rawalpindi Corps. But of course, you should be politically acceptable. You should not have views. You know, you should not have taken on the prime minister on any other issues. Uh, you should not be seen as someone who would create trouble or etc. And I think those are the things that would clearly be kept in mind. But in this case, they have chosen to go by seniority. And there's a background to it. Uh, Shahbaz's uh, elder brother, Nawaz Sharif, uh, he had picked up many army chiefs, including Musharraf and Kiani and others. And most of his picks had actually gone wrong. He did not pick the CNM most. He picked whom he thought would be most pliable, most helpful to him. And in all, almost all cases, they let him down. And I think having learned those lessons, the Sharif brothers decided to pick the senior most this time and see where it, where it goes. So what do we know about General Munir and is there anything that for you stands out as areas of concern? What we know about General Munir is uh, he's as a professional soldier, seen as a very hard taskmaster and of course stuff like that. He memorized the Quran as a lieutenant colonel when he was posted in Saudi Arabia. But that does not mean that he's an Islamic hardliner. He comes from a non-military background, uh, so so all those uh, he did, he tenanted all the good appointments that you tenant in the in the Pakistan Army. I do not see him having undertaken any of these uh, military courses in Western countries. So a lot of Pakistani leaders, Kayani, etc., had gone and undertaken you know higher military courses in in the United States or in the UK. I did not see anything like that on his uh, on on his resume. Uh, what stands out for me, particularly with Asim Munir, is when Asim Munir was the chief of ISI for a period of eight months before he was removed by Imran. It is during that period that the Balakot crisis between India and Pakistan took place in early 2019. If you remember on 14th February, there was this uh, suicide car attack on a, on a CRPF bus in, in Pulwama. Thereafter, India launched aerial strikes on Balakot, an Islamic seminary in Balakot in Khaibar Pakhtunwa. And after that, there was an aerial clash where Wing Commander Abhinandan at that point in time was taken into Pakistani captivity and India lost a MiG-21. And then there were talks between the two sides that India wanted to fire missiles on Pakistani side. And the Pakistani side said that they would also fire back missiles and retaliate very strongly. That conversation is supposed to have taken place between 
uh, General Asim Munir as the DGISI and an intelligence official on the Indian side. So very clearly at a point of great strife, great tension between India. And this was the, I think, uh, the most tense point since maybe of brass tax 86. This is something 35 years that we have not seen these kind of tensions. He was in the thick of it, speaking to the Indian side, which clearly tells us that the Indians would know that how he talks and how he behaves, but also that he would have formed some ideas about India during his interactions and dealings during that period. We're in conversation with Sushant Singh about Pakistan's new army chief. As Sushant explained, the army's biggest loss of face in recent times has come with its handling of the appointment and removal of Imran Khan as Prime Minister. We spoke with him about the challenges the former Prime Minister presents for the army. Sushant also explains why India is unlikely to see any moves targeting it immediately, but has a worst-case scenario that it will be working actively to prevent. Sushant, um, for our listeners, can you tell us a little bit about the history Imran Khan and General Munir share? And will we see him now taking an anti-Imran stance once he comes to power? So General Munir, when he was the DGISI chief, had a slight tiff with Imran. Imran was already the prime minister and General, General Asim Murin inquired into certain allegations of corruption that were coming from Imran's household. He did not make them public. But he did let Imran know that Imran's current wife was involved in some kind of financial dealings, which were, you know, not our board. He did it very discreetly and did not bring them to the public notice, but only informed the prime minister. Uh, Imran Khan as prime minister clearly did not like the fact that the DGISI had done it and then told the Pakistan army chief, the then army chief general Bajwa, to get Asim Munir removed as DGISI chief. Therefore, Asim Munir was removed as ISI chief only after eight months. Eight months is a very short tenure, you know, and moved into a different appointment. So he listened to him and removed it. And that is supposed to have caused a certain amount of tension between the two. And that is why a lot of people think that General Asim Munir would uh, not be favorable to Imran as the situation emerges because Imran, in a sense, pushed him out. But uh, it is hard to say for sure that uh, that General Asim Munir's actions were driven by a kind of personal enmity or out of more of a sense of propriety doing the right thing. You mentioned the fact that, you know, General Bajwa has, under his tenure, there has been this sort of minor drop in the reverence towards the army. With someone like an Imran Khan seeming to be on the ascendancy, does that bode badly for the Pakistan army and that institution? Yes, Pakistan army is clearly under pressure. Uh, I can give you one simple example. I served in the uh, in the UN where there were a lot of uh, where there were Pakistani officers with me, and I remained in touch with some of them off and on, and I still have friends in Pakistan army. Uh, some of them t- told me that even their own relatives, their own cousins, their own friends were angry with the Pakistan army because of the way Imran was being treated once Imran was removed as the prime minister. That is the kind of pressure that. Is is coming on Pakistan army as an institution because of what Imran is facing. So as you understand, Imran's support base comes from a very urban elite class. And that is the same class from which Pakistani army officers come. 
Secondly, Imran's support base comes from Punjab, from where the core of Pakistani soldiery comes. You know, so this whole pressure on the army as an institution coming from both their men and their relatives, as well as officer class, has been huge. And this is a battle which Pakistan army seems to be coming second best in. So I do not know really how the Pakistan army is going to fight this battle. Uh, General Bajwa's prescription so far has been to say that, oh, we are going to take a hands-off policy from politics. There is a problem there. There are two issues here. The first issue is that General Bajwa is no more the army chief as of 29th November. So, you know, General, General Munir will be army chief and he and his sort of core commanders will decide what needs to be done. And the second problem is that Imran is not asking the army to be neutral. Imran is actually saying that the army should support me and make sure that I come back to power. So army staying neutral would work more into the favor of Sharifs and the Bhuttos and the Zardaris than in the favor of Imran. Imran says that army should back me as a politician. And I think those two challenges, how those circles can be squared, is something which the which the Pakistan army will have to struggle with, deal with. And it's something interesting to watch as to how uh, General Munir and his set of co-commanders uh, look at it. We have an impression that the Pakistani army chief is some kind of a military dictator who decides what the army does. That's not true. The Pakistani army chief reflects a broad-based consensus amongst the top hierarchy of the military, which primarily includes the core commanders and his senior staff officers, especially in the early days of an army chief. And I say early days, the first few years of the army chief, because the core commanders and others are almost of an equal in seniority. The problem starts happening when people have, the army chief has served for three, four, five years. Then what you are getting as co-commanders are people much, much junior to you who cannot speak up to you. In Zia's time, because Zia stayed for army chief for whatever, you know, 10 years, 11 years, his cadets had actually come as become as co-commanders. Now, somebody who has been your cadet whom you trained as an officer will never have the courage to speak up and tell you the truth. And that is where the problem came up, which is the problem which we saw with Rahil Sharif, which is the problem we saw with Kayani, which is the problem we are seeing with Bajwa. So what I see right now in the next maybe couple of years is something which will be more consensus driven, which will come from the army rather than Asim Munir's own personality completely driving the army in one way. So of course, his personality, his views will matter, but they would still be uh, to an extent greatly influenced, greatly driven by a, a broad based institutional consensus, which he would uh, reflect and act upon. Sushant, um, Imran Khan seems to be uh, cutting an, a curious figure ever since his ouster. He seems to have uh, diabolically polarized uh, not just the army, but also the judiciary. Um, his rallies have become a major polarizing factor. Could you tell us a little bit about the role he's going to play in the near future? Imran believes that he's the most popular leader and if elections were to be held, he would capture power again. There is only one desire to get back to power, either by Pakistan army and the Pakistan Supreme Court placing him back as the prime minister without elections, which now seems difficult because the numbers are stacked up against him after the army withdrew support to him. So the only other option which he believes is to go for a fresh set of elections where he would get a clear majority and come back to power. That is what Imran's desire currently is. And he had made it explicitly clear that this is what I want. I want power at any cost. The second thing which he is signaling more and more is that he does not want to confront the army. 
contrary to the impression you know he has made conciliatory statements and he recognizes that army remains a very powerful institution and given some time it can come and come back and damage him so he is not in a confrontational mode with the army contrary to a lot of his supporters and his support base he seems to be very very angry imran still wants to find a conciliatory way of dealing with the army the third thing which stands out for imran is that his almost irrational behavior with the western countries you know who are going to provide all the economic support that pakistan needs somehow just does not add up the fourth thing which we are hearing from the chinese side is that imran's lack of support for the cpac which was the biggest infrastructure project anyway in the world has something which has really made the chinese angry and worried about the whole thing the sharif brothers went all out along with the pakistan army to provide support to cpac imran was you know very lukewarm very unenthusiastic about it and the fifth thing is imran's very ambivalent relationship with the islamist militant groups like the tehreek e taliban of pakistan is something which is very detrimental especially as you know this pakistani taliban or ttp has yesterday only announced that they are going to go all out against the pakistani state and resume their strikes at this point in time trying to show them as freedom fighters and some kind of you know islamic warriors is not something uh, which works uh, in pakistan's favor or in favor of the region but the primary driving motivation for imran khan currently is getting back to power somehow and the only path which seems available to him to which he seems is uh, is through elections and by having a non confrontational relationship with the army and with the tehreek-e-taliban um, saying things like this and with general munir taking charge how big a factor is the whole domestic terrorism scene for the pakistan army going ahead so the the domestic terror scene in pakistan seems to have deteriorated in the recent years and that is also driven by pakistan's very turbulent relationship with afghanistan you know although the taliban in afghanistan are seen as a proxy for pakistan and created by pakistan they really do not listen to pakistan on everything and their relationship with pakistan is very tense particularly over the durand line durand line is the line which divides afghanistan and pakistan which was given by the british the afghans have never accepted the durand line including the taliban that pakistan army is trying to fence the durand line and trying to create a border fence between afghanistan and pakistan so that people cannot move and that is unacceptable that is why uh, there have been constant fights constant you know kind of uh, firefights troubles you know rioting on the, on 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 these areas between afghanistan and, and and pakistan simultaneously the groups like the ttp continue to be based out of afghanistan which has been their old supporters ideological brethren in a certain sense coming from the same ethnic community of pashtuns they are the ones who are based there trained there come back and fight here so the emergence of taliban in afghanistan and the has allowed the ttp to come to the fore and now with these announcements is going to put more pressure on the pakistan army and the pakistan society and that's a challenge uh, which pakistan army will have to deal with uh, i did travel to north waziristan in 2017 to miran shah and to pakistan afghan border uh, as a journalist at that point in time when the pakistan army had taken a group of journalists from south asia and it was not easy to see what the pakistan army had done they had virtually bombed out the complete area it was like f16 that flown over and bombed the complete area out and then they said what they were telling us at that point in time is okay we have cleared the area of terrorists but i was like okay you, this is like vietnam you know you have destroyed the village to save it essentially there is nothing left of course there are no terrorists left because there is no town left so it's something something i i don't know how you 
going to replicate it now, five years, six years down the line, and how it is going to play out if terrorism were to rise again, especially with all this political turmoil, army's own reputation being weak, and all the economic troubles that Pakistan is currently facing. And when the West is not interested in the region anymore, because uh, the, the NATO forces uh, are no longer in, in Afghanistan. So this is going to be a pretty tricky area, and we'll have to watch out how this plays out. With regard to India, um, you know, we we currently enjoy a ceasefire with Pakistan that's been on over a year. Um, General Bajwa was seemed to be in favor of greater ties and talks with India. Do we see that continuing? Do we see a change? So we know very little about uh, General Munir's views on India. We have not heard any statements or any previous speeches where he has spoken about India. But clearly, Pakistan at this point in time is not in a position to take on India militarily because of, as we have discussed, because of the economic reasons and because of the social strife, political reasons, geopolitical reasons. So clearly, uh, General Munir at this point in time would rather not do it. What I see is General Munir would take at least six months to a year to consolidate his position within the army, which seems to be under a lot of you know pr pressure, a lot of stress, and deal with the political leadership and the society first. Once he's able to fix it, then he would start paying attention to external actors like India and China and uh, and Afghanistan. It would be foolhardy for him to start looking at India and start targeting India when he's still not fixed his own institution, when he's still not fixed the polity within his own country. So in the order of priorities, India would probably come, come second. And that would work in India's favor uh, because it is in India's interest to not get into any trouble with Pakistan while the border crisis with uh, with, with China is on. But uh, to give you a counter argument, if there is too much of turmoil within Pakistan and if Pakistan army is under you know, a lot of strife, uh, an easy distraction towards India would help unite the army and unite the country because that would allow the chief to ask people to rally behind the flag and say, oh, look, this is going on with India. Now, can we really fight amongst ourselves or should we take on India at this point in time? Uh, so that's a counterpoint which is there. But my rational thinking suggests that uh, Pakistan may be a flailing state, but it's not a failed state yet. And the army remains a very strong institution. They would rather focus inwards for the first few months and focus on within their own polity and society and then look towards India. So we should worry maybe in the second half of the year or you know early next year. Uh, before that, we should, we should expect a continuity of what has gone on under, under General Bajwa. The worst case scenario that keeps getting painted out in India is Pakistan and China have this sort of unity that India has to fight against. Uh, how closely are these armies aligned and does General Munir bring something to the table which indicates things could play out in that direction where India would need to be worried? Uh, so since 2008, India has spoken about a two-front collusive military threat from China and Pakistan. And that's something for which the Indian uh, political leadership and the Indian military planners have always said that we are ready for this kind of uh, this kind of challenge. Uh, while, you know, uh, re getting ready for this kind of a challenge can be easily said. It's a very tough scenario, something you do not want to be uh, want to be caught in. 
uh, as far as General Bajwa's tenure is concerned, he at no point in time, and even during the summer of 2020, when the crisis with China was at its peak after the Kalwan clash, uh, he did not mobilize the army. So there was a genuine worry in India at that point in time that if Pakistan were to mobilize its forces on the line of control in Kashmir, it would really put India under pressure because India had moved a lot of its forces to Ladakh from that area. He did not even mobilize his forces, kind of sending a signal to India that, you know, I'm not interested, we are not putting any pressure on you. And that probably led to that uh, ceasefire on the line of control eventually in the next few months when the UAE uh, brokered a ceasefire between India and Pakistan. But if Pakistan were to mobilize for whatever reason, under Chinese pressure, under its own desire, under the chief's personality, it would be a very, very tough scenario for India. It would be something Indians would dread. India dreads a scenario where Pakistan starts mobilizing while China is putting pressure on you. And it would directly have an impact on Kashmir because then Pakistan can really start putting pressure on the line of control in Kashmir. And I think that's something Indians would not want. And it was clear in 2020 when India asked the UAE to, to mediate between the two countries because India did not want that kind of scenario to emerge. And even now, India would not want that kind of scenario to emerge. And if uh, General Munir were to send some of those signals, I'm sure the Indian back channels would, would get activated very quickly and ensure uh, that uh, he desists from going down that route and following those plans. Today's episode was produced by Jairaj Singh, Sunai Marathe and Anuja Singh. For a daily spotlight on people, ideas and stories that matter, subscribe to us. We're available on TY+, Spotify, Apple, Google Podcasts and all other platforms of your choice. For any news tips, email us at tuipodcast at timesinternet.in.